Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Lost in the Groove with your host, Mike and Dave. Today, we'll be talking about life, society, as well as we can make things better, start a new day for a better tomorrow. Let's continue with the intro music so we can start today's podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to Lost in the Groove. Today is episode 6, season 3. Today we'll be discussing the industry's research on CBD. Shout out to our sponsor, Anchor.fm, the easiest way to start your own podcast. And guys, be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash lost in the groove. The link will be in the description below. All right. Before we begin, guys, we want to let you guys know that we really appreciate you being a part of our community and the foundation of our podcast. I know that David wants to share some things with you guys before we begin today's show. So David, what did you want to share with our community? So just to give a little bit of a brief history, the name of the show lost in the groove uh, came by a friend of mine that came up with the name and we originally were going to do the podcast together, but they didn't seem to be very serious. You know, when the time came and we were ready to record, they never showed up. And I'm, you know, I should have said something. I went ahead and I did it solo for a little bit of time. And I I just kind of just gave up on it. And a few months later, me and you, we had a conversation. We were talking and you were mentioning about a podcast. And I said, hey, I was thinking about doing a podcast. And sure enough, I already had a logo and we already had a name and I used it. I didn't ask, but I used it. I should have asked. That was that was a mistake that I made. Uh, We brought them on as a guest and we got into a whole conversation where they wanted to be on the podcast and me and you felt that it would just be better if we kept it just me and you just kind of where they were looking for more of a talk show and me and you were kind of looking at more of an educational community-based discussion-based learning kind of podcast in regards to society and culture. So that's kind of not the direction we wanted to go. And I had a long conversation discussing about the name, you know, the, the, the context of it and what, and so on. So it just, it just turned into turmoil, you know, now the point they they're saying that the name belonged to them and all of this, but you know, they deserve the credit for the name and all of that. I mean, this is our show, you know, it's Dave and Mike. Uh, and we wanted you guys to know this, that I, I did make that mistake and I should have been more clear about it, but the name is not what makes the show. You know, you guys tune in to listen to us. We want to hear you. You know, we have a Patreon page for this. We have a YouTube podcast. Again, the descriptions are going to be below if you guys want to check that out. But we want to just have this open conversation and this fluidity. So all of us are on the same page. 
and we don't want to hide anything from you. Didn't she? Uh... I want you know. I wanted to say this is that uh, after after we had this guest on, didn't you actually just ask openly about the name? And, I did. And I did. Verb, wasn't there a verbal agreement that it was totally fine to just proceed with the name? At this point, there had already been two seasons, many episodes, lots of effort and time that went into the logos and um, the creation and the art. Um, I do recall you, you mentioned that it was apparently totally fine. Go ahead. That's what happened? Yeah, I... Yeah, we, we had a conversation. I discussed about the name change and they were fine with it. Uh, and, you know, as time goes on, here's the thing. I am the I'm, I'm the kind of person that I understand where they're coming from and I do understand their point of view, <clears throat> but the thing is, is that we've decided to make our own podcast, whether the name be it or not. And with that, I think the best thing to do is to start today's topic, which we've been kind of doing this this entire season, is kind of give you guys an understanding of medicinal plants and all. Uh, you know, this kind of new wave, new information that's been brought up where people can now use medicinal plans for all different types of healing, not replacing medication. I really want to strongly throw this out here. Do not take this as information to take your medication that your doctor has prescribed and throw them away. All we're here is to explain options you can add to your healthy lifestyle um, or your diet or whatever you're going through to benefit your life and what you need to make it possible. So you've kind of put this together because I barely know anything about the industry's research on CBD. Uh, and it, it's really interesting to, to find, I mean, I have no idea where you found any of this. So I don't even know where to start. I have the, I have the script in front of me, but I just do not. Do, do you kind of, you know. Well, let's, uh, you know, let's just dive into it. You know, up until this point, we have discussed many facets. So we have spoken about, cannabis. Uh, yeah, cannabis. We've spoken about CBD from what it is to its varying forms, including applications. Today, specifically, we want to discuss some of the aspects relating to uh, clinical research uh, around this compound, the manufacturing processes to clear up, you know, the different methods that companies are using to develop or, or produce their CBD products. Um, it's important to note that there have been many institutions over the years, agencies who have studied hemp the and the derivative CBD. Some of these institutes include Harvard University, National Institute of Health, as well as many others, including the FDA. So, dun, dun, dun. so up, up until this point, we know that uh, since the 90s, they have been uh, researching cannabis uh, in, in secret for the most part. Um, yeah, but nothing about CBD. But nothing about CBD. And, okay. um, and 
through the through the years as they discovered more naturally they're going to discover things imagine for 20 30 years you've been told there's nothing here there's nothing medicinal uh, about this plant so no it's a drug look. it's heroin yeah. don't it, look over it, here it's heroin you inject it into your blood and you die right you know don't look over here no. there's nothing nothing to see here <laughs> so i mean but the reality is that there there is something here otherwise they wouldn't be spending this much time right. and effort to right. try to understand it. So what do we know so far? You want to take it away, Dave? Yeah. So this is something that I've been interesting, interested in too. I, I've seen everywhere where they have oils, CBD oils, like just all over the place. Does CBD oil actually do anything? Seriously. I mean, depends, right? We've talked about the different types. We've talked about the the nonsense products that are out there versus the real products that are out there. Uh, but what do we know at this very point? Does it actually do anything if you have the right products? And based on a lot of this research, CBD has been touted for a wide variety of health issues. Strongest yeah, like Strongest, yes, the strongest scientific evidence is for its effectiveness in treating some of the cruelest childhood epilepsy syndromes. And we've heard this over a course of a decade now. I've heard many stories. Go ahead, Dave. What were you going to say? No, it's interesting because you mentioned over here, which typically don't respond to anti-seizure. That's very odd that you mentioned that with anti-seizure medications, because there are there are these medical conditions that, that these kids have where the anti like it doesn't it doesn't do anything and this stuff is very strong but then you have cbd in comparison i mean that 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 seems very 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 strange not in a bad way very in more of a curious way Right. Like what, well, what's, you know, what is it? If it can, if the, the most sophisticated, um, you know, lab produced drugs. Oh yeah. Oh are in, yeah. Are ineffective. Well, what's in this plant that, or in the cannabinoid tree that is doing, what is it doing differently? I mean, as it says here, you know, numerous studies have shown that CBD is able to reduce the number of seizures and in some cases stop them altogether. I've spoken to parents over the last decade who are like, you know, my, my pediatrician won't, uh, won't explore any other options other than what they have in their laundry list of medications that are approved for these cases. And I've heard as a parent who is doing research because I'm desperate to find a solution for my child uh, stumbled upon CBD and threads, uh, whether it's Reddit or wherever they may have discovered it, that this could be a viable option. So they go out and start seeking it out and wanting to test it, but they have to do it secretly. Mind you, this is 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, not that long ago, but back then, these parents were having to hide the fact that they're having to explore something that's completely naturally derived. Uh, at that time, not in the most, didn't have the most legal clarity, but it was showing improvements in these symptoms. Is that, you know, are they, were they wrong? Were they right? At yeah, the end of the day, if you're a parent, 
you will do anything for your child. No, of course. And I mean, it's kind of like back then people were looking at more of it as like a supplement, you know, like they have those like supplements of like the peppermint and the aloe vera and all of that. So like it was kind of viewed in, in that kind of box. It's like, oh, it's like one of those. But, you know, as we've seen, as time has gone on, it's been proven to be false. Correct. I mean, it's there's there's so much of this research and so much money being thrown at it. I I can understand from that perspective back then. But nowadays, it's much harder to just throw aside and say this is useless. Um, There's there's even been a drug. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but um, Epidilex. 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 Yeah. I mean, whatever it's, however way it's pronounced, it contains CBD. It's the first cannabis derived medicine approved by the FDA uh, for these conditions. That should, that should say volumes uh, to the general public that this is no longer taboo, you know, your child doesn't have to suffer anymore. There is, there is something you can get from a doctor that was produced by a pharmacist to, uh, to address these, uh, these conditions. Yeah, I mean, think about, um, think about penicillin. Penicillin comes from mold, right? Mold cult, uh, mold cultures. You do have this weird, they take nature and they're able to create medicine from it. You know, it, you know, pen, penicillin was revolutionary back then. You know, now we step back, you know, step 90 years into the future to CBD, cannabis and all of this being put into plants. It's not come from plants. I'm sorry. That come from plants and now are being used into this medication. I, you know, I, I think it might be a good idea also to kind of have an understanding of what are the other things that CBD can help in regards to the research. Like, I mean, I, I see over here, like you say, anxiety. 100% agree with you. I have severe anxiety. I smoke cannabis. Um, whenever I'm on cannabis, my maybe have maybe like two panic attacks a year. I still get anxiety attacks. I had one yesterday in the lift car because I was like right in front of the World Trade Center. And like I literally freaked out the passenger in the back. And she was just like she was on the phone with someone. and She's like, I, I'm going to have to call you back, you know, to like that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you, you kind of want to kind of want to break it down. You want to go like karate on it. Be like, what? Well, you know, it's a, there's some animal studies and self reports or research in humans, you know, it suggests it helps with uh, a number of different things. You're, you're already seeing um, uh, improvements in your symptoms. The, the question becomes, well, is your quality of life improved? If the answer is yes, then, you know, that would be a self reported study and, and some of that data can naturally be used um in the whole can we get if we get millions of people tens of millions of people reporting similar things maybe they'll uh, take it even more seriously but the fact that we're even at this point suggests that um they have enough data that has them interested the fact that we already have a fda approved um product 
uh, that contains CBD for epilepsy is another sign of evidence that we're moving in a direction that uh, suggests, uh, you know, the cannabis legalization um, has, uh, I want to say, a purpose overall. This could very well you be. You know, that- I, I think this is also an important thing to bring up. Do you know where the word marijuana comes from? Yeah, I, I, I believe it's, I believe it was used in the nine, in the 1900s, early 1900s towards uh, the, the period of time where it was kind of gaining in popularity. They figured if they gave it uh, uh, kind of a name from South America that would suggest like this is only used by minorities, it would, you know, it would maybe um, discourage some of the other um, classes of uh, people living at that time from using it. Uh, am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, what have, yeah. you, what have that, you read? No, no, that, that is correct. And the reason I bring this up is in regards to the way that research has been viewed. A lot of the times it's been restricted. You know, this is this is the problem where. And, it, you know, you're mentioning epilepsy. There's another one also where um, heroin heroin addicts, when they get off and they put them on really heavy, severe medications. And a lot of the times that stuff doesn't work because that kind of research is about last time it was done was like 1973. You know, that that limited amount of research that has been done causes problems. It it creates this, this episodic period of no help. You know, you're mentioning with those parents and those kids, it's like, how long are you going to let people suffer when you know that there is an alternative that can benefit them? They may, they may not know like medical professionals, a a pediatrician may not know. No, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the researchers, the ones that are the ones that, you know, create all of these projects and these new type of medical research that they've put together to create new types of products. Yeah. I mean, I think that has more to do with uh, the research, the study, and of course the inevitable next phase is how well, how do we patent this? Um, At the end of the day, every researcher works for somebody who is much more powerful, whether it's an institution or university, someone above them, you know, and then above them make those types of decisions. It's not the researcher that gets to just come out and say, well, this is effective for this, um, you know, in most cases it's got to go up the ladder and then they got to figure out, well, how do we, how do we put this into a product that can be FDA approved and then distributed nationwide through a uh, distribution yeah. network? Yeah. I mean, you like, you mentioned over here, uh, research that's been conducted on CBD are by the respective organizations. And I mean, I'm looking at this over here. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's nine organizations that are right now doing research on this. All over the country too. And, and it's not just, it's not just research, Dave, they've been given sums of money, millions of dollars for each for each project to better understand, okay, 
We've heard that it can help with this instance, conduct research, find out what you can. And then of course, the most important, what is it doing in the body when it is introduced? Or what is it doing in the brain when it's introduced? Um, naturally, we have receptors to process cannabinoids. So if there's a system for it, there's probably a reason or a cause. But there's many other things. I mean, through the uh, self-reported research that people have done, I mean, anxiety is on the list, insomnia is on the list, chronic pain, um, inflammation, arthritis, addiction is one, which is um, is difficult. You had mentioned addiction for heroin and the alternatives that are out there. Uh, they do work. The, the alternatives, they do work. But what they don't teach you about uh, or when you first go to these detox clinics, what they don't educate them on is the fact that the methadone they're giving you is a blocker of that receptor. So even if, even if you did exit that detox clinic and tried to get heroin or opioids, it will not be effective because the methadone uh, drug that you've been given to take as a replacement won't allow your brain to process it. It just, it, that receptor is just blocked from opioids or heroin. Um, but in turn, what does it do? It actually makes the user of that drug incredibly dependent on that drug. And it's actually from a lot of reports of users, they say, this stuff is God awful. Yes, I stopped using heroin, but I can't stop using, you know, the methadone. So you're saying that you can theoretically use CBD for ex-heroin addicts. Is that what you're implying? I'm saying that that's what the research from a lot of self-reported um, people who have uh, suggested that it could help. I mean, it says it can help lower cravings. Um, it, uh, it depends on certain conditions. Uh, the animal models of addiction suggest it may also help lessen cravings for alcohol, cannabis, opiates, and stimulants. You know, it's, you Wait know, a minute. it's, it's not I, that simple. Hold on That's one second. You, you mentioned cannabis, but CBD comes from cannabis. You mean to tell me that CBD helps you stop being addicted to cannabis? That's the suggestion from these self-reported cases. Yeah. I mean, I thought you don't get addicted from cannabis, though. There, there's certainly a psychological addiction, and you can develop a psychological addiction to anything. So it's not, but it, it's even it goes further. Anybody who has smoked cannabis a very long time without without cannabis, uh, even for a few hours, they do exhibit physical symptoms. Myself included, I've seen it, but those were in my younger years. As I'm older, I don't exhibit those symptoms anymore. But at the same time, I don't consume as much as I did chronically anymore either. Um, so there's there's a fine line. And the reality about cannabis is that um, it's probably the least harmful thing you can do. But at the same time, uh, there there are there are going to be symptoms if you abuse it and then you stop where you run out. Uh, a good example of this is. And of course, it's just a movie, but anybody who watched Half-Baked um, with Dave Chappelle, um, there's a scene where they where it's suggestive. You know, the uh, the character of Dave Chappelle hasn't smoked all day 
and he's about to meet the girl that he's been um, dating and um, he feels a very strong desire to want to smoke because it's and he feels agitated and various things just the movie however I have felt those symptoms I'm familiar with them I can relate as I'm sure many others may have felt those symptoms it's not going to be the majority or the minority it's going to be a group of people everyone's going to react differently uh, to that form of uh, a form of uh, like cannabis addiction just wanting to just be stoned all the time um, again the psych- psychological addiction is one thing the physical symptoms don't suggest that you have a physical addiction to cannabis there's a clear distinction between the two and i want to clarify that for people so they understand that you you know mentally you have a desire a yearning desire to want to get high from cannabis when you don't have it you know your body does show symptoms of like various different things agitation is one and that will be sub, you know i want to say subjective really depends on the person um, i have met people who don't show any symptoms and are totally fine who are chronic users but uh, that I, I may think that there's probably a variable of age too, age and experience, where the younger generation may uh, see much higher symptoms versus the older generation of people where, um, because of their experience with cannabis, understand that, well, now is not the time. Yes, I want it, but now is not the time. And they don't really feel a physical symptom from it. But there is a distinction that just because there's physical symptoms, there there is no basis or evidence to say that, well, clearly you have a physical dependency to it as well. It's not heroin. Heroin, when you don't have it, you feel sick, you're vomiting, you feel, you feel God awful. Opioids are the same way. Um, it's, uh, you know, cannabis do- doesn't create those conditions. It's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned because heroin and opiates have a very interesting effect. People that are on them become very delusional. You know, one thing a lot of heroin addicts, ex-addicts will say is it, you know, it, it kind of creates where like you're in this world of happy. You're just happy. You know, you feel no, no anything like you're in this whole different sphere. I, you don't really feel that way with cannabis. You may be kind of silly or goofy or funky, you know, when you get stoned, but you never get to the point of like, you're so happy you don't feel anything else. I mean, I think that depends on the, the person too. There's definitely a form of euphoria uh, in cannabis. That's why um, it's helpful with depression for some people uh, and may not be for others. But it's, uh, I think, again, depends on the person for sure. Uh, for, for heroin or for opioids, um, I've heard the same stories. I've used these drugs before not recreationally, but for pain, they do great for pain after tooth extraction. I guarantee you, you want Vicodin. Okay. But, um, but days later, you know, I, once the pain subsides, I've never really cared for it uh, to want to pop two or three or four or five. I mean, I've heard of people's habits um, climbing as high as, you know, 30 a day. And when we're talking about if it's black market purchases, that's $10 a pill, Per day, that's three hundred bucks, man. Um, that's nine thousand dollars a month. Where, like, where are you getting that kind of money from? It's not that simple. Uh, so imagine, imagine what heroin's like. Yeah, oh, man. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, so if, if we dive in deeper, you know, into this research, so cannabis sativa has long been utilized by human populations across the world for therapeutic properties, from pain relief to treatment of epilepsy, two things that we're all familiar with and have heard. Marijuana and hemp are two strains of the same plant. You have C sativa with marijuana being cultivated over the years for its THC content and hemp for its myriad of other uses, including paper, clothing, and food, which we what have. Do you also- mean, okay. What, okay. I know this for clo- for clothing. Cause I have hemp clothing. What do you mean by food? You've mentioned this before. And I'm curious. Actually, no, you've mentioned this Dave um, in like, even from the, the country of origin, you were saying you have ties to Morocco. Well, they use, what did you say? Oh, they used hash- yeah, yeah, yeah. They used oh. hashish in their food, right? Hashish, yeah. So, I mean, it's culturally and yeah, but historically. Not, yeah, but hashish is not hemp. Not, I mean, not necessarily, but it's derived from cannabis and cannabis, uh, even the plant, or if it was just hemp, let's say the male plants, I mean, it's still useful. Okay, so that's interesting to bring up. So, Right. So hemp is the male and cannabis is the female. Right. The the one that produces flower. Yes. But, you know, your question, I can see that you're like, what do you mean by food that that hemp can can, you know, and it's, you know, derivatives can lead to uh, the paper we are familiar with, the clothing we're familiar with, but with with food, where does that come from? Uh, But all the oils, and you have talked about this, Dave, that all the oils and the various nutrients that are in hemp are still usable. It's not, it's not trash. Once you're, you know, once you're done with the plant for paper or for clothing, um, what's left over can still be used. I mean, I believe uh, uh, David Putvin talked about this too, just a, a broad um, usage of these plants from seed to harvest and then utilizing everything. Even to making car. He mentioned this to me. He was talking about car parts. That's incredible. Yeah. You could literally make panels on a car from hemp. I wonder what, yeah. I wonder what kind of plastics we're talking about at that point. I mean, yeah, it is. It's a new, uh, I mean, this is the only problem with plastic though. Plastic doesn't, it's not biodegradable, but hemp is. So you made right. a plastic out of it. You might have a biodegradable plastic. Absolutely. Imagine that. That you would know, be revolutionary. It certainly would. You know, I was talking about this with somebody not that long ago. Um, you know, everybody's wanting to talk about reducing carbon emissions and going greener. And we should have been doing this 20, 30 years ago, at least making a, a, a more concerted effort uh, towards uh, development and research. But the reality is that the reason why it takes so long to make it to where we are is simply petroleum is in everything, including plastics. You get rid of petroleum, good luck getting any type of foods that are packaged in with plastics. But what you just mentioned and what David was talking about, uh, we did have him on as a guest. That's really fascinating to me. That would accelerate the process of getting away from um, at least the varying forms of uh, petroleum produced plastics. 
And now you can have fields and fields of hemp growing that you can use all the facets of, including to make plastics. If it's really, I want to say, if it's really that effective, um, can scale up to, to meet large sums of demand. I mean, we're talking billions, maybe more, maybe even trillions of units of plastics that are going to be required. Um, then it's a much, much better approach uh, for the future if we are very serious about um, getting away from fossil fuels. That's, that would make a huge difference. And who knows? You heard it here, folks. There's a possibility you know, down the road 10 or 20 years that uh, you can remember this podcast where we talked about how it could very well take over uh, the world as, um, as a plant that can be used for many, many different things, including yeah. get, getting rid of that, the one major thing that is, it seems impossible today. This is why I have this conversation so much, especially among people that are, you know, we gotta, we gotta make this change. A lot of them, when I bring this up, they don't, they've never even heard this before. I'm sure a lot of people have, but the people I've spoken to of all ages from their twenties, all the way up to their fifties have no clue that petroleum is used in plastics. I'm telling you, good luck getting any type of packaged good, anything, clothing, food, merchandise, yeah, merchandise, you name it. Think about that. The world would definitely come to a halt if we don't, uh, if we didn't at least use them for those things. Um, getting off of fossil, this is why it's such a difficult endeavor. It's not, it's not something that happens overnight, but my thoughts have always been, well, what could be the replacement? We would need something as abundant, easily scalable, and um, easily, uh, easily processable as well. Yeah. I mean, look, we're going to, we're going to take a short break. Uh, We're going to have a little quick uh, video of our sponsor, which is Anchor. So we're going to see you guys in a few. When we get back, we're going to be talking about how is CBD made and kind of go over a little bit of the research as well as um, the other institutions that have worked on CD- CBD research and give them some credit. All right, guys, we'll see you in a few. All right, guys, we are back. So let's continue today's groovy topic. Uh, Mike, do you want to take it away? I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, 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 it's all right. Uh, Just sit back and relax. And smoke weed and eat your smoke munchies. Weed. Yeah. I mean, so at this point, we know that there's so much uh, going on with this. And we're aware that uh, there's so much being conducted, you know, despite the Considerable so, uh, socio-political obstacles, scientific understanding of C. sativa has progressed substantially in the past 30 years, as the many active ingredients of the C. sativa strains were isolated, major discoveries were made, as we have seen over the course of the decade. Um, and this is all regarding the body's own indigenous cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system, which we have talked about in previous episodes. Yeah. Your, your body was made for this, so it has a way to process it. Um, what is it doing? And from that, you know, we're going to dive into the many different organizations who have been uh, well-funded and tasked with trying to understand varying forms. Like for one, 
Boston Children's Hospital. What have they been tasked with and given money to research with CBD? Uh, well, specifically mechanism and optimization of CBD mediated analgesic effects. So um, how well can it actually relieve some forms of pain? The University of California is another one. Neuroimmune mechanisms of minor cannabinoids in inflammatory and neuropathic pain. So that's, I believe, relating more towards um, your pain receptors and how it's in, how would the CBD be interacting in those areas? Those pin, uh, those pinpoints because um, it's so it's so weird. It all has to do with pressure. I mean. It's, so the more pressure that's condensed, the more the pain is able to, you know, be able to cover more area. It's so interesting in how that whole, and I'm really fascinated to kind of see the research they come up with, because if they're able to create with CBD a way of coinciding and cutting down that intensity, that, that would be incredible. I mean, I have cases of uh, uh, multiple people with autoimmune disorders, specifically lupus, um, and it's it's horrifying, man. I feel, you know, I feel for these uh, for my these. Aunt, my hand has lupus. Yeah, I, I mean, it it varies. The intensity varies for sure. But I had I have clients with very severe cases, and it's uh, it's misery day in and day out. And asking for more prescription drugs, their doctors typically typically look at them like, oh, you're addicted. Like, no, man, you know, look at my history. You've treated me for 20 years. You know that my case or, you know, my condition is worsening and um, my, my body is unable to, you know, recover from this. It just gets worse and worse. Lupus is, is really interesting, um, you know, horrible, horrible disease to have. Uh, it's very painful, uh, especially if the, the severity, severity or the intensity is uh, on the higher side. Their, their pain thresholds um, are going to be somewhat of a variable for some of them. Some of them can handle more pain. Some of them can't. But uh, over a long period of time, their lives and the quality of life is diminished drastically. So this is an interesting area to consider. I have a client of mine who takes very, very potent levels of CBD, uh, full spectrum specifically, um, and it helps her. Which, uh, just letting you guys know, in the previous episode, we discussed about uh, broad spectrum and full spectrum, among other, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, <clears throat> Form a variant, very uh, variant forms. So you guys can definitely check that one out. So just throwing that. Out. Do you want to continue your uh, the next one? I believe is from the Research Triangle Institute. Yeah, the Research Triangle Institute: minor cannabinoids and terpenes. The preclinical evaluation as analgesics. Uh, terpenes are found in a lot of plants. It's um, it's important. They're not uh, they're not just uh, something small or minor among the makeup of a, uh, uh, of a plant, they typically have more of an important function than people would believe. Next one is New York University School of Medicine. What are they doing with the money they've been given? Identifying the mechanisms of action for CBD on chronic arthritis pain. Do you want anything so interesting? I actually read the article. 
that they did, and they actually, um, oh my god, it's it it's just it it's insane. They, by the way, just throwing this out there, I'm from New York, and the New York's you know New York University is one of an incredible university, especially their section of School of Medicine. The the type of research that they do, they're very thorough. Like to the point that in the article, they break it down to the point where this is the thing about chronic pain. It's unapparent. It's unclear and it's very undecisive. So you can just throw as many things as you want at it. And it's like, it's not going to go away. You're just cons- You're just kind of keeping it calm for now. You know, and having that ability of, no, no, you have full control. It's not like it's going to wear off and it's just going to be coming back. You know, like, uh, yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, this is what I educate people on when they find me for the first time. Um, and it's important for them to, you know, to set that proper expectation. Like if you're dealing with chronic pain from something serious, it's the understanding that your pain's never going to go away. Um, short of, let's say, surgery, if that's even an option. Um, so mitigating those symptoms and finding a balanced approach that would allow you to be able to um, improve the quality of your life is really key. Um, the bottom line is, is that when we have these conversations for 20 or 30 minutes, depending on what medications they already take, it's having to help them understand like, yes, you're taking Vicodin for pain and it's effective, but do you understand that it's not eliminating the pain, it's masking the pain. If you stop taking your Vicodin, that pain comes back. So really addressing the core of why there is pain is generally what I would like to try to um, bring attention to, to a lot of people. Um, Because some things are, when we're talking about pain, some things are, you know, uh, I want to say time and age. Some things are uh, genetic or disease related. Some things are injury related. Out of those, only one actually has the potential to um, explore uh, different approaches. And that's the one just relating to age. So if it's age and arthritis and various things, there are other uh, there are other approaches, not just CBD, but things you can do, things you can research and implement into your diet, into your exercise. Yeah, I mean, look, that's just that that's kind of that's kind of the whole thing about research is kind of figuring out uh, the different approaches, the different types of steps that can be taken. Uh, kind of continuing through the list, uh, another one is from U- University of Texas. They're doing the research on synthetic biology for chemogenetic manipulation of pain pathways. Uh, also, the University of Utah, they're doing exploring the mechanisms underlying the and am I saying this right? And analgesic 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 effect of cannabidiol using proton magnetic. Resonance spectro, uh, spectro, uh, spectroscopy. Hello. I didn't pass high school, man. You got to be better with the wording. And <laughs> Henry uh, University, Atlanta, um, mechanisms and the studies of analgesic effects of terpenes enriched extracts from hops 
So as you're seeing, I mean, and there's others too, you know, systemic investigation of rare cannabinoids with pain receptors, University of Illinois, analgesic efficacy of single and combined minor cannabinoids and terpenes, uh, Temple University. All of these agencies have been tasked to further evaluate the efficacy of hemp-derived CBD without THC to determine if there are more applications and to learn more about how it works in the human body. They've been given lots of money to do this. It's clear that there is something here after all. This is a huge leap forward considering that not too long ago, the cannabis and hemp plants were determined by medical professionals to have zero medical application. Fast forward and what do you know? It appears they have changed uh, a change of heart and at least are acknowledging that there may be something here but requires more study. You know, then you ask yourself this question of how is CBD made? A lot of people do ask this question and, you know, unfortunately it's not a short answer. There's many ways that uh, companies can approach this and there are, um, I want to say facilities that have streamlined the process. So uh, it really depends on what you're going for. Remember last episode, we talked about applications. Well, applications are more about just how you want to introduce it into your body. It turns out that depending on the application, the method that would be used to extract that CBD oil would vary as well, because each extraction method might be more favorable for a very specific application versus another. Right. So then how exactly is the CBD extracted from the plant? Well, there's multiple methods. I mean, we have uh, a huge list of these, as you can see, you know, carbon dioxide, ethanol, liquid solvents, oil infusion. Um, there's, there's multiple ways. So, I mean, we can kind of we can kind of break this down a little bit so we can have an idea. So let's start off with carbon dioxide. So, uh, you want to take this away? Sure. So one of the more popular extraction methods for CBD oil uses is carbon dioxide or CO2. This system takes advantage of how CO2 can function as a gas, a solid, and a liquid. That's actually kind of interesting that CO2 can actually be three of the, uh, 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 what do you call it, the uh, the table? Uh, I'm losing my English. So <laughs> closed loop extractors are most commonly used for CO2 extraction. The process starts with a solid piece of CO2 in a chamber that is then pumped into a second chamber containing the cannabis material. Ah, the second chamber is kept at such a pressure that CO2 stays in a liquid light state and absorbs the plant's oils and flavors. Then the CO2 cannabinoid mixture is pumped into a third chamber where the CO2 returns to a gas state, leaving behind the plant's oil and flavors. I'm going to ask you later what you mean by flavors, because I'm curious about this. CO2 extraction is exact and can produce some of the purest cannabinoid extracts when done correctly. However, this is not always the case because of the high cost of equipment and the steep learning curve. When this is done well, CO2 extracted CBD oil is some of the world's purest. But there's this ample room for error 
when done in a less than optimal condition. The potential for error is why subcritical CO2 extraction is used mainly by more boutique CBD brands. So going to ask you this. What do you mean by flavor? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, in general, when you're, when you're extracting oils, there's, there's natural like flavor, oil flavor. If you've, um, if you, anybody, mean like, uh, you mean like fragrance, like a, like a natural fragrance? Sure. I mean, when you take, when you take regular flour, right. And you, uh, and you break open the bag or container and you smell it, that's the fragrance of the, the flour. Right. When you take uh, when you take smells a like, hit. Smells like lemonade. Wait, wait. Not, not always. Not typically. When you smoke it, it has a flavor. Right. Anybody out there who has ever extracted oils, whether it's live uh, resin or, or any form where they've um, been able to extract some type of oil, whether cannabis or hemp, you'll notice that without doing so anything. It's not, to it, OK, so it's not a flavor. You're, you're saying more of a scent. That's why no, I was being. No, 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 I'm not. Let, let, let me finish. So All right. All right. If, if, if you've done either of those things and then you have consumed this orally or, you know, whether you've ah. smoked, smoked it or vaped it. Okay. If you, if right. you, let's say orally is the option. If you take that orally, you're going to sense that, hey, this definitely has a flavor to it. A lot of the natural flavors that are left behind from uh, the actual plant. So some I want to, I want to test this one second. You ever, you ever eat regular weed, Dave? Sometimes. Yeah. You know that it won't do anything, right? It, it was not going to get you high. No, no, no. I, um, I sometimes eat, I've actually eaten raw cannabis just for THCA. I've done that no. before. No, no, no. There is no THCA. If you just eat cannabis like that. No, no, no. There's I'm a... talking about, I'm talking about like the raw, Raw flour. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That will not get you high. Don't do that ever again. Mm-hmm. Save your money. No, 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 no. I wasn't doing it to get high. I remember I brought this up the last time we had David Putvin on, which is where Native Americans use it in their cuisine. So I had a while ago when I was in California, I was by somebody. And I don't remember the dish was kind of like the salad of some form. It was a Native American dish. And he put... Th he put not THC sorry a cannabis flower in there, and he said that you know it has a lot of good benefits and properties. But yeah, I wasn't yeah I yeah I'm not a yeah no I don't just eat raw flour. Yeah, because it, it won't get you high. No, so. it won't get you high. No, no. And but ultimately, if you ate it, you notice that it certainly had some distinct flavors to it, right? I mean, that's those are the natural terpenes, and it it tasted. It tasted like a mixture of marigold. You know what that is? Yes. A cardamom. A hint of rosemary. Coriander seeds. There's one more. Trying to remember it. Give me one second. Sage. Well. Very interesting. Very interesting. I'd say also probably really dependent on what, what, you know. What right. But that's, yeah. but that's what I'm saying is you're talking about flavor. So I'm giving you an example, you know, like it, it, I'm trying to picture it in my head of 
that that idea of that that flavor. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, 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 that, I, get, I get it. Yeah. So from that specific like flower bud that you had tried, like those are the different flavors that you can kind of relate to. But yeah. but when we're talking about extraction and oils, those same, you know, some of those flavors do come out. And depending on the extraction method, they're they're either more prevalent or less prevalent in the end product um, for certain methods let's say for, uh, let's say cartridges that, that are out there. We did talk about this in a previous episode. You mean for like vape, pen, uh, like vape pens? Right. Those generally after the most, the most common situations of extraction after they're done, um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the cannabinoids are gone. Even the flavors are gone. They infuse them with uh, terpenes. They have to. Otherwise, it'll just taste like anybody who's done this with flour or anything who have uh, who has extracted back in the day it was with butane. If you've ever extracted uh, um, oils from butane and you tried to just uh, uh, get it into a vape pen or, or, or some fashion, and you try to smoke it, you'll realize it has a very earthly, earthy taste. There's there's nothing left. There's there are no terpenes. All the natural terpenes are gone. Certainly, there's no uh, cannabinoids left either. It's just the THCA. This is what the CO2 method is able to. Um, uh, yeah, but I it, say. it's interesting though. You mentioned this that the CO2 extraction is used mainly by more boutique CBD brands. So this is not a wide, a wide variety of how CBD is made in regards to the mar- large market where it's only a, a, a fraction that are actually using this method in their right. stores. Uh, well, no, just, just the brands. Like, like you see it, boutique brands. Those are. Okay. Big, okay. Yeah. Brands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why is this exactly? Uh, they want, they want to separate themselves. You, you know, they want to charge more for their products, but they are spending more for their products. They're going after um, a group of customers that, um, want to have something of the highest quality as we're reading here co2 does have a margin of error if it's if the uh, the conditions aren't optimal you're not going to you're potentially not to get it right and it's not going to be the best outcome of product but when you do have the right lab that's doing these extractions with the right machinery um, last i heard some of these machines are upwards of 100 grand just for one of the machines, just for one. Um, so that's why there's. Do, do you brain... recommend? Do you do you recommend this type of extraction method, or not uh, really? I mean, I'd say that it's probably by far the cleanest uh, uh, approach. Um, when we look at some of the other ones, the 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 ethanol, the, ethanol. the liquid, the liquid solvents. I mean, uh, they're not they're not going to be the cleanest approach to it but they do make it easier uh in terms of accessibility you can you can get cbd out of it quicker using some of these methods but again application matters we see that uh what is it just based on these notes here we're seeing um yeah so like just to kind of like start off we can talk about ethanol you know ethanol extraction is another popular extraction process like you mentioned 
As it is safe, simple. Okay, is it okay? Safe. All right, and effective in this method. High-grade grain alcohol ethanol is used as a solvent to separate CBD and other cannabinoids from the plant itself. Interesting. Okay. Ethanol extraction can be done under warm or cold conditions. Ah. And is considered extremely time efficient compared to other CBD extraction processes like CO2 extraction. So you said this, where this is a faster method than the CO2 variation. Is that correct? Faster, more efficient. You can get product out faster. That's the whole idea. You know, you want to get products out into the market. Your brand may not want to go through the CO2 method because it costs more, but it's going to be more time consuming too. Um, it depends on the, the uh, sophistication of the lab. But as you see here in the notes, ethanol primarily is used for vape cartridges and other products, probably because the consistency of the oil is much easier to work with to place into those applications. Uh, could you possibly use it a different way? Sure. But um, this was a huge problem for years as many of them tried to get into the vape uh, markets. They realized that their CBD oils were not stable inside of cartridges. Many would leak, many wouldn't function, many would destroy the coils that are uh, the atomizers that are built into, into these uh, cartridges. So um, eventually, as we can see here, they found the right method and that was ethanol. Uh, but, you know, CO2 by far is still the cleanest. I mean, wait a minute. Uh, any- so curious enough, the, the cream that you gave me from my mom, is that the one that's done with CO2 extraction? No, those guys have a proprietary method. So, their CBD is called sabidinol, something that has been uh, patented already. It's their formula, and it's from an isolate, uh, from isolate crystals. But they don't, um, they don't really talk too much about how they have approached their formula because it's patented. They're not going to. Um, but their goal was to increase absorption of CBD into the system because it's water-based specifically, water absorbs a lot better into the human body than oil does. Correct. Yeah, that is, yep. Yeah. I mean, we're made up of mostly water. But that's only one factor to their formula. The the sabidinol formula is vastly different and even its its method. So um, I'd say based on the cost and I could refer to them, speak to uh, the CEO and see what he has to say about it. The CEO himself is a, uh, is a biopharmacist. So the, the question would be simple, like, okay, so you use isolate. How, how was the isolate extracted? If he gives me an answer, I'll update you guys on the podcast. That sounds like a plan. Uh, so we've talked about ethanol and then there's also liquid solvents. The idea of using a liquid to absorb CBD oil. Okay. Interesting. When the cannabis plant doesn't stop with CO2 or ethanol, naturally liquid substances are also used, including butane, which we mentioned earlier, hexane or isoprolol alcohol. 
The process works much like the CO2 or ethanol extraction process as a liquid solvent is run through the carboxylated hemp to remove cannabinoids and terpenes. Okay, so they're removing the cannabinoids and the terpenes? And then- yeah, that's generally what we'll see from, uh, from these extraction processes is that it just strips it down. It's an isolate of CBD. There's nothing else, there's nothing else left. So liquid solvent extraction is less expensive, an easier way to extract CBD oil, and is easy to scale for commercial production. But it has its downsides. Not all solvents can remove all impurities. And the, I cannot pronounce this. It's chlorophyll. Chlorophyll from the plant may remain in the oil giving it a greenish tinge and a bitter taste. So that's what you meant, like an earthy, is that, is that the same thing, the bitter and the earthy taste? Yeah, so, yeah, for some of them, yes. But this just goes to show that um, the isolate um, version, if all of them were going through this method, was simply to, uh, to bring product to market as fast as, as fast as possible, as cheap as possible. This is why you see so many products on the market, um, most of them isolate, but it's also because they figured out a way to produce it much faster and white label it for any brand. You want a brand of CBD, you want to sell it, here's your opportunity. That's crazy. So a CBD manufacturer must adjust the processes needed to avoid impurities, as many of the liquid solvents used are highly flammable. Jesus Christ. This method can be considered more dangerous than others. Oh, my God. That's insane. I mean, that, 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 that's that's under controlled situations. It's, I, um, I, I mean, it's but okay. controlled systems can become uncontrolled. In a matter of seconds. I mean, to literally have that capability, you know, and like something happens, I mean, that could be catastrophic. Absolutely. It's horrible. I mean, that's, we've seen that here over the years, too. I mean, people trying to make wax and shatter out of butane, um, running operations out of their garage. Uh, homes have gone up in flames. I've seen it. I've seen it on the news. Everyone's seen it. You know, if they're familiar with the with the industry in this area, Southern California, they've seen um, houses go up in flames, exploded on the news stations where they're talking about like, oh, you know, another house on fire. It exploded today because they were running illegal marijuana extraction um, operations within the home. And this is, you know, a similar situation with CBD we're likely to have more controlled. Like this is an, an illegal substance. It's not illegal. So it's going to be easier for people to get a laboratory, get the right stuff, get licensed to do it, and then have fail safes to make sure they don't burn anything down. But still, as you read it, it is dangerous, clearly. It is. So another one which we should cover is oil infusion. Oil infusion is one of the oldest techniques for extracting CBD oil, and many home growers and producers still use this method today. It's one of the most straightforward ways, but it does come with its drawbacks. Before starting oil infusion, the plant material must first be decarboxylated, 
or heated to a specific temperature to activate the compounds. The plant material is added to olive oil or similar carrier oil and heated at 100 degrees Celsius. Thank you for using the appropriate measurement for a couple of hours. The olive oil can't evaporate out of the CBD oil. So no one of the primary... So, I'm sorry. So, one of the primary downsides is that a lot more oil is used compared to the amount of liquid solvents used in their process. So, in short, oil infusion basically means it's like 0.1% of this is CBD, and then like 99% of it is oil. There's not enough in it that actually is CBD. I mean, it's it's possible we would need to we would really need to like run tests for ourselves. Uh, there would need to be a little more transparency around that during the the, um, the lab uh, testing phase. So, I mean, you also mentioned that it's the oldest. So this is so oil infusion was before CO two. One of the oldest techniques for extracting CBD oil. Yeah, I mean, um, if it's the case, I'm not really too sure. There have been other methods too. I mean, one of the really oldest ways is just a um, bucket of ice water for for extraction. It's do you really use a bucket of ice? That is insane. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's literally if if it was, let's say, any type of extract, whether from cannabis or from hemp, um, the 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 very cold temperatures of the ice and the mixing, because it requires a lot of mixing as you just mash it through. Um, eventually, what's left at the bottom is just the um, the oils it's well i want to say it's similar to um, what we read about the co2 extractions um, it's just super super cold super dense um, but it's of course we're going back like 30 years um, back then you would see more people using it to make hash it's a it's a fairly clean method but um, based on just current, you know, the, let's say last 10 or 15 years, as this industry has been growing, this may be considered, the oil infusion may be considered one, one of the older ones. Um, and, and it depends. I mean, just like what it's saying, many home growers and producers still use this method today. Um, for what? Extracting CBD or, or cannabis extract? I think also a good thing to cover would be the secondary process <clears throat> processes. As some of the bus processes result in impure CBD oil, many manufacturers choose to use one of, or both of the following secondary processes in order to further purify their pr product. So there's winterization and distillation. Am I saying it correctly? Yes. 
Uh, so as, as, as we're seeing here, like as we go through it, I mean, the process is specifically to remove undesirable substances from the oil. Um, after the oil is extracted, it's combined with 200 proof alcohol and stirred vigorously until thoroughly mixed. Very similar to, like I said, the ice water, the bucket of ice water. The alcohol thins the crude oil out as the desirable parts of the crude will go into solution with the alcohol, while the unwanted parts will coagulate and freeze, allowing them to be filtered out. The same would be said again, bucket of ice. It's something very, uh, very common. The mixture is then placed in a deep freezer at below zero. Once it has time to freeze overnight, it looks cloudy and is ready for filtration. The filter removes the fats and other such materials, the oil and alcohol mixture is placed in vessels that use uh, paper filters. The actual CBD oil remains with the alcohol solution and passes through the filter while the unwanted frozen parts are caught by it. When the oil is of the desired quality, the mixture can be heated to alcohol's boiling point, which is lower than that of CBD oil to boil off the alcohol. The alcohol evaporates and the CBD oil is left behind. Uh, for the most part, you know, as clean as they can make it, uh, at least they're getting rid of the alcohol. But still, I mean, it's it, it's such a long process as we can see here. Uh, it really, first, it really is. Yeah, from the first and then to the secondary. It, this is one of the reasons why in the early years CBD was so expensive, and people would say one hundred and fifty dollars for a thousand milligrams of CBD oil. Why is this so expensive? Um, well, number one, it works, but number two, it usually has a lot to do with these processes that we're seeing. I mean, nobody's trying to sell you snake oil, um, and nobody wants you to necessarily get hurt. People who are serious about the space, um, take the methods of extraction seriously as well. Um, there's always going to be people who aren't serious and they'll cut corners. So let's look at the distillation method too. Yeah. Uh, for further CBD oil refine, uh, refinement, it is run through a process called short path distillation. The secondary takes advantage of the fact that different CBD oil compounds each have their own boiling point. Short path distillation starts by slowly heating the CBD oil until the unnecessary substances such as uh, terpenoids, flavonoids, and contaminants begin to boil off. Sometimes a vacuum is also used to separate the vapors with a lower boiling point. The vapors formed travel through a distillation tube until they reach cooling coils where they condense and drip down into a separate collection container. The process continues until only pure CBD is left in the original container. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty long process, man. Um, and though let's say the, uh, the CO2 might be the most expensive, it's probably the right way to go. I remember when CO2 extraction of uh, cannabis was uh, really, really uh, the way to go because it was the cleanest. The people who, um, who got tired of the butane extraction and just didn't want that quality anymore were willing to pay more for a CO2 extracted oil cartridge Yes, it costs more, but, you know, it's so much, so much cleaner um, in terms of its effect. And it's, uh, do you see and a it's difference like end, though? end product. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would see a huge difference just by looking at it. You would see a huge difference. I mean, do you sell? Do you uh, sell? Do you sell CO two extracted? CO two extracted what? Weed? Like uh, no, like um, uh, for like you know, like vape pens or whatever. Well, no, because the vape the vape pens were considered un, like not viable with any other method, just like what we were seeing up here, the, the most viable option. Well, then what, for, what would you use CO2 extraction cannabis for? It's not for uh, a pen. No, they would be for oil. This is specifically covering oils. Um, we're not talking about smokables like flour or gummies. Maybe that's for a separate episode, but this is just specifically Spef- oils. Oils, okay. Yeah. So I mean, as, as, as it said, you know, ethanol was the best viable option for vapables. Right. I mean, look, there are many different approaches to manufacturing CBD products, and some are more favorable than others. Where some are more efficient for certain applications, overall, the safety and quality of these products are the utmost of importance. And um, I think that's a great place to leave off. All right, guys, we have reached that time in our podcast. This has been great. This has been fun. And we got lost in the groove. Every Tuesday, be sure to check out a new episode of Lost in the Groove and our other channels, Jam Band with Mike and Dave, a Patreon member-only podcast, and our extra special, Ching Dig with the Variety Show our YouTube podcast as well. So links will all be in the description box. And there also will be a poll where you guys can vote for the topic for the next season. Thank you so much for watching. Catch you guys in the next one. Peace.